So let me just get right into it. And then as I'm talking here, if you guys have questions, go ahead and throw them in the comments and then we'll get back to those. I wanted to first express uh, something kind of major. Now, I did this announcement this last week about changing up the schedule on the channel. And so for those of you who watched the video, you know that I was rather kind of apologetic in tone when I was doing that. And I felt really nervous about changing up the schedule on my channel. I, I, I built this up to three videos a week. It was a full-time profession, still is. It's, you know, it's all I really work on is, is, is the content that I put up on this channel, um, you know, in addition to everything else in my life. And, um, and uh, good, yeah, we're all okay. Hey, Germany. Well, when I made that announcement and when I started, because I, I thought I've been thinking about this for months, I've been thinking about taking out the Thursday videos and just doing the podcasts and the Q&A. Uh, but I really wanted to get this Basics of Scientology series done. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to get this series done, but it's going to take me a while. And so I'm going to, you know, have to cut out every Thursday putting a video up. And I was thinking, oh boy, I'm going to get a lot of backlash on this. People are going to be really pissed at me about it. It's going to be very upsetting. And to my complete shock and surprise, it was the exact opposite reaction from everyone. And that really bowled me over. Um, and I need to explain this, actually, because I think through you guys who have been following me for all this time and watching what I talk about as the recovery process from Scientology, this was part of it. And, and you guys were part of it. Um, it. This couldn't have happened any other way than the way it happened. And so since it rolled out the way it did, the last few days have been amazing for me. And let me explain. In the C organization, there is, I've talked about other C org members, ex C org members have talked about you know, the, the undue pressure that is put on a C org member every single day. In fact, not just every day, but almost every hour. In some cases, every minute of every hour, you are being driven for production. That's your life as a C org member. And um, I have been out of the Sea Org now since 2012, um, but old habits die hard, <laughs> you know, old thought processes are a little hard to regroove in. And I have been motivated to produce for my channel. This is something I now do for my living. And because of that, I had brought to bear, I, I, you know, at first when I started this channel, that wasn't how it was. This was something I did in addition to working a regular job, having, you know, getting back into the regular stream of life and acclimating to the real world as opposed to the bubble world. So when I first started my channel, there wasn't any big pressure on me. I didn't feel compelled to do this out of some sort of sense of duty or production demand or something like that. This was just something I was doing because I wanted to share the information I had with you guys and hopefully be able to share this information with people who used to be uh, in Scientology, maybe, or, or are in Scientology, maybe help get some of them out. Um, but as the years went on, and as I, because I've been doing this for four and a half years now, I got into this schedule of content and, and I put myself on a pretty intense schedule of three videos a week. And, um, and that's a lot of work. 
So the old habits of being under a production demand all the time were repeating for me, not because of anything anybody else was doing. It was all, it was all for me. It was all in here, you know? And so, um, so it was very much about getting things done on schedule, on time, having good quality content, because the quality of my content is always the thing that's most important. But when you're on a schedule, you know, then it's like, well, I got to get some content out there too. Anyway, I talked about all this in that video, but the thing that's changed now is the reception that I got. I expected all this, all these harsh comments and replies. I thought maybe people might even unsubscribe. I thought I might even lose some Patreon supporters. Um, and none of that happened. <laughs> Just the opposite happened. And the reason this is important is because it kind of blew another layer of the onion for me. And by the layer of the onion, I mean, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, I mean that when you come out of Scientology, you are peeling away layers of this onion that is in your head of all this, you know, goop and nonsense and brainwashing and, and all this other crap that's been piled into your head over all these years. And it strips off slowly. And, and you never know as the person going through the recovery process, where you're at. You know, you never know when another layer of this onion is going to pop up. And there have been a lot of them have that have popped up over all these years. So this one was one that I couldn't have really come to by myself because I was just so used to this intense demand on myself um, because I used to get it from my environment. And so, you know, after, after a while, it just becomes a habit. Um, that I didn't see that that's what I was doing to myself. And I needed your guys' help to point that out to me. And now that you have, I want to thank you. And I wanted to say that the last couple of days, I mean, until this morning when I was getting all freaked out about all the technical difficulties, <laughs> um, things have really chilled. I mean, I, I have had like a weight come off me. It's kind of like it felt like this heavy coat I was wearing came off. Uh, and this was directly after I started getting all these comments from you guys on that video. So I wanted to let that let you guys know about that um, because it was kind of significant for me. Um, you know, it, it's it's become okay for me now to, or more okay, I should say, to have some more time to myself, to take a bit longer to put the quality of content together that I want to for you guys. So I'm producing you know, good quality products for you um, and for me, you know, um, and that'll get the job done, which is to inform and educate you guys and, and, you know, hopefully entertain as well on the subject of Scientology, destructive cults and, and all of that and critical thinking. So wanted to get all that out of the way. Um, and I know some of you are just coming on now, so you might not have gotten all that message. I won't, I won't, don't want to say it over and over again. But um, anyway, I just wanted to say all that because um, cause it's important. It was really important. And I wanted to get that all, out, all that out this morning, but it, you know, we had all those problems. So now we're rolling and there you go. So now I'm going to go through here and let's see what kind of, uh, feedback and, um, kind of, uh, questions you guys might have. Cause now I want to do my Q and A show for the week. Cause I, that's what I do every Sunday and I don't want, I don't want to skip that. So let's see here. Um, yeah, take the man out of the Sea Org, but you can't take the Sea Org out of the man. That's 
Great. Good way of putting it. Um, let's see here. Watch a lot of stuff. Get some feedback. Hello, British Columbia, Canada. Um, yes, Beyond Keto says, we actually care about you, Chris, and appreciate what you do. Oh, yes. That was the other aspect of this. Um, and let me comment on this also. Because I had had all that pressure, because I had had this habitual idea that I needed to, you know, to do all this, um, in my own mind, I had kind of created a sort of an adversarial relationship with you guys, with my audience in my own head. And it was just amazing to me over the last few days to when that all kind of stripped away to see the change and to see how, again, I always try to make learning moments out of this stuff. I really do. And, and it was a big learning moment for me to see how the power of uh, pressure, of, uh, of self-deception, I guess, or, or of old habits that can continue to prey on you in a way. And that's what this was, you know. I, I don't know how else to explain it, you know. I've been fumbling around for words for the last couple of days trying to explain this to my friends or my wife. And it's been, um, it's been interesting, but in a really good way. Okay. All right. So... Uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, yeah, not Joe Witness. That's right. It's, it's, you know, it's just, it's a path of recovery and it just is, it's just going to go the way it's going to go, you know? Um, yes. How are you? Yeah. Okay, good. So Travis asks me here, hey, Chris, how are you learning to value yourself more? You seem like a very genuine guy. I, you know, I try to be what you see is what you get with me. <laughs> you know, this really is who I am. And um, um, in terms of valuing myself, um, I think just investing in myself, investing in, in playtime, you know, when I mentioned um, a, a while ago that when I first came out of the Sea Org, I had to practice relaxing uh, and just kind of practice chilling out for a while. But it was funny because for me, that meant taking 30 minutes <laughs> or an hour and sitting down and, and watching some TV or playing a game or reading a book or just screwing around or taking a walk or something like that, and then kind of getting back to work. And so at that time, for me, that was relaxing. <laughs> now, relaxing is a bit of a longer stretch. You know, I've actually kind of got my workday set up now where I do an eight-hour stint of work, and then I take the rest of the day off, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, like kind of what everybody else does. So uh, that's that's kind of what that's meant for me, uh, so far. Um, all right, let's see here. Uh, any extra? Yes. Da, 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 da. <laughs> That's a great question, Lena. Lena Sith Lady asks, what was the first thing you bought at the supermarket when you got out of the Sea Org? Did you have to learn how to cook? Um, the first things I bought for myself uh, were like Pop-Tarts. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, and stuff like that. Just good, good, clean, healthy crap. <laughs> you know, not healthy. Um, that was that was what I did for myself. I was very much into uh, feeding my sweet tooth after I got out. Uh, and did I have to learn how to cook? Yes, I actually did. I knew how to cook as a young, as a child and as a teenager. So I knew that level of cooking, like basic eggs and bacon and French toast and sandwiches and throw stuff in the oven and stuff. Um, but 
one of the things I started learning about a year and a half ago was how to really cook. And uh, and that's been a lot of fun. I got cookbooks and all these utensils and implements and stuff. So cooking's a, cooking is definitely a, a newfound joy for me. Um, oh, yeah, Sierra Westerman. Yeah, I need to reach out to her on that. That's a good point. Orange Crush is saying to please interview her. Yeah, I, I want to do that. Um, yeah, exactly. Have some fun. Um, all right, let's see here. <laughs> yeah, good old Turd Ferguson. <laughs> All right. Um, I did beat myself up about those technical difficulties earlier, actually, Viridian Roots, but uh, I got over it. Um, good, 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 good. These are great questions here, great remarks. Um, okay, we have a question. What do you think of the data series? For me, it was the best thing I ever did in the Sea Org uh flag executive briefing course okay uh mark so i actually did a couple of videos and podcasts on the data series if you go to my basics of scientology series you'll find it in that playlist um because the data series for me was not really something i remember with a lot of fondness so i think we have different ideas about it and its usefulness but i did a full detailed breakdown of it and in fact i even did a couple podcasts with a former military um, intelligence advisor and a, per, a former hedge fund manager on the economic side of things. And we critiqued it quite a bit. So I encourage you to check that out and then get back to me if you think that we missed the mark somehow. I wouldn't be surprised if you think we did as a, as a former Scientologist. Um, some people have quite a bit of dedication to that data series and really think it's an amazing thing. I don't. Now, having learned so much more about logic and rhetoric and critical thinking, the data series to me is a bit of a, a landmine field of, of traps and booby traps and things you can uh, can kind of mess yourself up with in terms of, of data analysis. Um, okay, let's see here. Kyle, did you see my question above? I don't know. Let me see here. Going up, going up. Uh, help people in the London branch. Oh, okay. Hiya, I wanted to help people in the London branch. Any advice as I have not been involved in Scientology, but watched a lot of stuff to help with some backup. Um, well, I don't really know what your resources are, Kyle, or what, or what your time or interest level is in terms of helping. Um, helping the Aftermath Foundation is the single most direct thing you can do to assist former Scientologists, because that's the group that helps people who have just come out of Scientology. And we have done work with that. I've helped, I got one person uh, who reached out to me fairly recently connected up with them. They helped her out in an enormously and got her on her feet. So, so that group is, is a direct thing that you can do that will, that will give aid to uh, former people coming out of the Sea Org mostly. In terms of um, propagating or disseminating, you know, the, the material we're talking about on my channel or Leah's show or any other channel or that kind of thing. Share it, link it, get it around on social media, um, you know, advocate um, on, on Twitter or on social media or in, you know, in person. I'm not the kind of person who particularly advocates going and doing protests in front of the orgs. I don't think that's particularly effective unless it's done in real volume. Having just a couple of people show up is not really that big of a deal. Um, and in terms of engaging with Scientologists directly, I don't particularly encourage that. 
Um, helping family and friends, perhaps, you know, in terms of interventions and stuff is certainly something that, you know, that can be worked on. But in a general sense, really just helping to, to, to share the work that's been done, because we've really covered so many of the bases at this point, and it really is just a matter of getting that information out there. And finally, the other thing that would be very, very helpful is contacting any elected representatives, whether you're in the UK, like you are, I believe, or in the United States, and really giving them the what for on why Scientology is so damaging and why it should not have tax-exempt status. That would be really the, the, the thing to harp on with any elected officials, or to at least get some kind of a uh, you know, federal-level investigation going against it. Hope that answers that question. Um, okay, let's see here. Let's go back down the line. Um, you guys are great, man. I just, I love all these. You guys are just so wonderful. Thank you for your support. It is so, <laughs> it's, it really does mean a lot. Um, all right. Yeah, have some fun in the process. Actually, I do want to stress that I, I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't having fun doing it. Okay. So while I put myself under the gun and while I might feel a lot of pressure to get time, you know, targets or schedules met, I do want you guys to know that this is nothing but fun for me at the same time. Okay. Um, I would not, there is no other job I could think of that I would rather have than what I'm doing right now. Um, interacting with you guys and, and, and doing this stuff is just, uh, it's just awesome. Uh, okay, Beyond Keto asks, Chris, after you left Scientology, how long did it take for your beliefs about Scientology and the tech to change? How did your view, how did you view your previous wins? Are there any aspects of the tech you still believe in? Uh, okay, uh, just a short little question there. <laughs> um, okay, uh, I've actually talked about this a lot in my in all the earlier Q and A videos that I've done. You can see the progression of of my my changes and recovery out of Scientology and my changing viewpoint about the tech of Scientology. When I first got out, I was talking about the abuses and about the organization, and I was trying to expose the, the nuttiness that goes on, but I wasn't particularly addressing the belief system or the, the, the methodology. I started tackling that a couple of years ago when I started, when I really realized that the whole thing was pretty much just destructive from beginning to end. And I realized that I, I didn't want to endorse it or, or give any sort of positivity to it. Um, but at the same time, at the same time, be honest, be intellectually honest about it. And that's the, that's why that's what started the Basics of Scientology series, um, because I wanted to give the pros and the, the cons and the pros to the tech so that anybody who watches those videos could see what's wrong with it, but also that, you know, what's right with it too. So that's kind of the goal of that series. So that all started dawning on me over the last couple of years. Um, in terms of my previous wins, well, I mean, I've, I've been happy with the wins that I got in Scientology. I did get gains. I, you know, you don't do something for 27 years if you're not getting something out of it. Um, but I've realized, I've come to realize that the wins were either based on such a bedrock of false information, um, false concepts and ideas, um, that they, that, you know, they're not really that substantial. It's not like I look back with fondness at any of the gains that I had in Scientology and think to myself, oh man, I'm so glad that I did that course, or I'm so glad I did that auditing session. Cause it, boy, man, it really changed my life for the better because it didn't. 
you know, that's not really how I view my wins in Scientology. I view them as temporary gains and, and moments of euphoria in an otherwise abusive relationship. So that's, that's kind of my view on that. I know other people have other views about their wins in Scientology and they hold on to them real tight and they, they still praise Hubbard or Scientology because of that, but I, I don't. I mean, that's not where I come from. Um, oh, that's an interesting question, Travis. You seem like a good fit for your wife. Does she ever point out to you when you may be slipping into your old Scientology ways? No, she doesn't. Um, and uh, I think that's because I don't slip into my old Scientology ways that obviously anymore. Um, and I catch myself way faster than most other people catch me at it. Um, I, 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 I watch, I, I'm a fairly, I'm not an introvert, but I'm an introspective person. I think a lot and I think about myself a lot and my own actions. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way. I mean, I don't think of myself like how great I am. I mean, I think about the recovery process and I think about what's going on. And, um, and I try to be as self-aware about it as I can so that I can communicate it about it to you guys and, and write about it and, and, uh, and understand what's happening to me as I'm going through this. So no, my wife and I don't ever have any real issues about that that I uh, know of. Um, <laughs> my facial hair. Uh, oh, John Loro asks, good afternoon, Chris. Do you know the main reason why people join Scientology? Um, and then he says, why do people leave Scientology with all that internal pressure, cult-like pressure? Good luck on your new journey. Um, okay, well, again, not a, not a short answer here. Um, people join destructive cults like Scientology for all different kinds of reasons. And I've, uh, I've discussed this at length in, in the various videos on my channel. Um, mainly it has to do with some sort of personal problem or traumatic episode or incident or, or a, um, a time period a person is experiencing in their life of great change, upheaval, emotional uh, change, uh, mainly in a negative way. Um, people are looking for answers. They want to find solutions to problems that they have, and nothing really seems to be, none of the usual run-of-the-mill solutions seem to be working. And so a friend, a family member, or maybe they're walking by a church on the, you know, on the way to work or something, or, or they're, you know, whatever, and they run across Scientology somehow. And Scientology offers them solutions to whatever problem they're experiencing. Doesn't matter. Scientology is a one-size-fit-all solution, and they will promise you the sun, moon, and stars, um, starting with solutions to the exact traumatic problems or grief or loss or upsets or whatever a person's having. And, um, and then promise, of course, to not just solve that problem, but to actually make them a better person, a more able, competent, uh, dynamic person in their life. And that's why people get involved with Scientology. No one ever, ever joins a cult. They join a group that they think is going to help them in some fashion. And it's only after they get involved and get in over their heads that they find out that uh, they took a wrong turn at, at Albuquerque. Um, okay. And then as far as why people leave, uh, generally speaking, it has to do with some kind of, uh, betrayal or something, some kind of injustice that happens to the person directly and personally, whether it is a disconnection or some kind of a financial issue or like they get ripped off, you know, or there's some other form of betrayal or some form of like, 
you know, somebody does something that somehow rocks, you know, like somebody from Scientology does something that is unacceptable to the person. And that is usually the path that opens, that starts opening their eyes to, oh, well, that's wrong. And then they start seeing other things that are wrong, which they earlier weren't willing to acknowledge as wrong. They were justifying and rationalizing these things that were going on around them that didn't make sense or weren't correct or weren't moral. But then when it becomes personal, then the person's usually able to break away and start seeing things more objectively. So that's that's usually, in terms of broad strokes, that's usually how it goes. Um, what professional backgrounds do Scientology public come from? Uh, Law of Improbability asks, all kinds. There is no profession, I, I mean, I've seen literally um, people out of work or between jobs, I should say, not, not homeless people, but people who you know weren't working at all, all the way up to, I've seen, you know, corporate CEOs, uh, high-powered executives of obviously movie stars and celebrities, housewives, engineers, doctors, lawyers, chiropractors, vets, um, people from all different kinds of professions, all the way down to, you know, delivery people and labor and day laborers and, and uh, you know, data entry clerks. I mean, as long as you've got money to pay for Scientology services, you know, they'll let you in the front door and, and they'll sell you stuff. Okay. Um, cool, Mark. Thanks. Uh, you're going to go look up those data series videos. Good. Uh, oh, T. Feeney says, a lot of Scientologists seem to be smokers for some reason. Is this because Hubbard smokes so heavily? Um, yeah. And also because Scientology is very stressful, <laughs> especially in the Sea Org where they smoke like chimneys. Um, there's a lot of smoking going on in the Sea Org. Uh, I mean, Miscavige smokes, you know, Hubbard smoked and uh, Hubbard smoked nasty ones. He was unfiltered cools. Uh, yeah, you know, pretty bad. Um, I smoked when I was in Scientology. I didn't smoke a lot. I told myself when I got started that I was not going to let myself get addicted to it. And I didn't. So that was good. Um, but uh, but yeah, the stress in, in the Sea Org is, is pretty intense. And you know, I'll just say, I mean, for whatever reason, cigarettes definitely are little chill sticks. You know, they can really help uh, when you're just kind of need a little break and you want to go outside for a moment and, and look around and 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 have a, a, a little chilling cigarette, you know. Uh, and, you know, and, and of course, because Miscavige smokes, because Hubbard smoked, because many Sea Org execs smoke, they do present themselves as role models for that. All right. Um, yeah, data series. Okay, good. Have you ever... Okay. Jeff Beaumont says, have you ever reached out to Jerry Armstrong for an interview regarding Scientology? Um, no, I have not. I have reached out to, to Jerry for information about Scientology, but Jer Jerry decided that I was his enemy at some point along the line here because I made a comment that was critical of him uh, back when Marty Rathman was around and Marty was giving his information about the IRS and Marty and David Miscavige and the IRS commissioner were the only people in the room uh, when this particular conversation happened. So Jerry had some issue with what Marty Rathman was saying and I sided with Rathman on that particular point at that particular time and Jerry decided that I was his enemy for life. So from that point forward, he and I have not been on good terms and that's just kind of how that is. And that's the honest truth. And I don't really bear the guy any ill will of any kind, but he has made a, a public video on YouTube against me. 
and he's uh, he's derided and insulted me publicly, and so I kind of have a hard time with that, and uh, and so I don't you know really talk about it much. But since you asked me directly, I will answer you directly. Okay, um, do you think Scientology has an investigator that monitors the stream to sue you? Heard they are very vicious toward former Scientologists. Um, no, I've been I've been doing this for four and a half years, and I'm quite sure that somebody in Scientology and the Sea Org at the Office of Special Affairs is tracking all of my content. I don't get followed around by private investigators. I don't get fair gamed that way. I get trolled. I get weird emails. I've got a hate website against me. So the church definitely knows exactly who I am and what I'm about, but they are not taking drastic action against me. And I'm okay with that because I'm not in this fight in order to get fair gamed. So that's kind of how that goes at this time. All right. Um, Law of Improbability asks, how do Sea Org members keep their few uniforms clean? <laughs> okay, this is something I can talk about with authority. I had two pairs of pants and two shirts for years. <laughs> three, sorry, three shirts. Uh, and it's just, you just round robin those things. Uh, you get used to trying to keep clothes clean for days at a time. And uh, and you clean them every Sunday. And if you need to go you know, go do a load of laundry in the middle of the week, then at the end of the night is when you're going to be doing that. You're going to be staying up late and losing sleep. And that's how that goes. And then you can, of course, also buy uniform parts. But we never really had the money for that. So we were always trying to get approval for funds so that we could get more uniform parts. But it was the rare Sea Org member that had more than two or three shirts and two or three pants or skirts or slacks. Um, yeah, wash them on your hours off. That's right. Um, <laughs> Brittany Z asks me, Chris, have you heard of street epistemology? Yeah, I might've heard of that. <laughs> I've had, uh, Anthony Bagnabosco on my podcast two or three times. And I had Peter Bogosian on my podcast as well. Please check those episodes out. Cause we talk about street epistemology and I am a, a, uh, vigorous and enthusiastic supporter of street epistemology. I think it is the single most effective means of having rational, mannered conversation between people who might not agree with each other. And it's a great way of, of understanding where somebody else is coming from without becoming necessarily hostile towards them. Um, and I think it's the only way that really approaches a methodology that will effectively change hearts and minds on a one-on-one -on -one level. I wish it worked on a one-to-many level, but it doesn't quite work that way because of the nature of what it is. Uh, okay, let's see here. Yes, I definitely, uh, Brittany, thank you. I'm definitely aware of it, and it is a very useful tool for changing hearts and minds. Um, let's see here. Yes, I put myself under the gun. <laughs> I got my Han Solo gun back here. Uh, it was so funny doing that podcast and having us sitting here and having the gun pointing at me the whole time because we were sitting here talking and I didn't even think about it. Didn't even think about it. I really should have. Anyway, so um, I'll probably rearrange that back wall a little bit so that uh, doesn't happen again. <laughs> uh, let's see here. What? It sounds as though they're constantly in super judgment. What? Orange Crush. How do Sea Org members have sex? It sounds as though they're constantly under supervision and don't really have any spare time. Okay. All right. <laughs> They're not always under supervision. <laughs> in the Sea Org, when you get married, you get a room. You get a, you get your own apartment, so to speak. And it's not a full apartment. It's really a room. 
Um, the bathrooms are common bathrooms that are shared, you know, on on floors, um, you know, in the in the in the main building or in the Lebanon Hall building. And Pack is where I lived, and um, so you have time when you go to bed at night and you go to sleep and you're married, you're with your spouse to have conjugal visits. You know, you got time to do that. Um, but it definitely the Sea Org schedule, without question, impacts a person's sex life. Because you pull in all-nighters all the time or very, very late at night type, you know, you're not getting to bed until one or two in the morning often. So it definitely has an impact, but it's not like somebody's in your bedroom watching you. I mean, you know, it's not not that bad. Uh, okay, let's see here. Tom Cruise, video with his daughter, Suri. Um, so you think this will be the last drive for him to leave? Yeah. Okay. So Kyle Holworth is asking question regarding Tom Cruise. I saw recently on a video that his daughter Suri has been labeled a suppressive person. Do you think this will be the last straw for him to leave? Any update on John Travolta? Okay. Tom Tom Cruise is never going to leave Scientology. I mean, I just that's my statement of fact about that. He is the most fanatic Scientologist on the planet. He's also best friends with David Miscavige, so he's got a lot of sunk cost uh, in Scientology. Uh, he's also given over millions and millions of dollars, and and the Sea Org is in, in, in invaded his personal life. He has Sea Org, you know, staff working around the clock with him at his place, et cetera. At least, at least he used to. If he still does, or if he's changed that, fine. But as far as I know, that's how that rolls out. Um, I don't think his daughter, Suri, would have been declared a suppressive person. I think his former wife, Katie, was declared a suppressive person. Um, but Tom Cruise is just an egomaniac. I mean, you really got to understand that about the guy. What you see of Tom Cruise is not who that person really is. Um, you know, I badmouth Tom Cruise so often, I really don't want to make a habit of it. But uh, he's just not a good guy. And um, so... You know, he's he's not seeing his daughter because he doesn't want to see his daughter, not because some the church is imposing that on him. He's just a jerk. So, you know, uh, Surrey declared a suppressive person. I, I, I doubt that that's the case. On the other hand, Scientology is always worse than you think. So I could be wrong about that. And I'm willing to, to be wrong if I am. Um, oh, Elena says, did you see my question about how you feel about the tone scale? I did not. I'm sorry, Elena. I missed that question earlier in the stream, but I'm doing a whole video next on the tone scale. So you're going to get all about how I feel about the tone scale when I get that video out. Um, let's just say that right now I would I would summarize my answer to that by saying it is childishly simplistic. So uh, that's my feelings on the tone scale. Um, there's a version of the Sea Org for your videos. What? Okay, whatever. He's done a number of videos to treat epistemology. Da da da. Um, I do not understand. Annie Hall is asking me. Uh, after Buzz TV has an after show of Leah's show. Have you seen it? No, I have not. Last episode, there was a hidden Scientologist. I, I, I don't understand that reference. Um. Let's see. Charge everything. Credit cards, loans. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Mark is asking me, Chris, any thoughts on the RPF? I spent plenty of time on the RPF at Folo, the big blue building. You and me both, buddy. Uh, yeah, I did the RPF. I was on it for three years. I, I, you're obviously new to my channel. But check out my content, man. I've been talking about this stuff for a long time. 
I've got whole podcasts on the RPF. That's uh, you're gonna love my channel. Just keep going through the content. It's uh, I've covered all this stuff. Um, okay, here's the question. WW is asking me. I've read the Scientology as opposed to premarital sex for Sea Organization members. Is this only for Sea Org members, or is this a general prohibition meant for all members? Okay, the Sea Org specifically dictates that you cannot have sex until you're married. Outside of the Sea Org, that is not the rule set in stone for Scientologists, but that level of morality is encouraged. Um, sleeping around, being promiscuous, these are very heavily discouraged in Scientology. And there is, uh, masturbation is completely off limits, like definitely a no-no. Um, in the Sea Org, that's very rigorously enforced. In the public level, Scientology, you know, if you confess to it, you'll get in trouble. But uh, you know, there might be some direct questioning about it, but it's not like every day somebody's lining up all the public Scientologists saying, did you jerk off today? Did you jerk off? Today? I mean, it's not that level of control, but they do have an avid interest in their members' sex lives. That, that I'll, I'll, I'll just put it that way. Uh, let's see here. Um, Mail, but I saw the question wasn't clear from the video. Quick answer is all that's needed. Oh, Mark Mirko. Um, I saw your video before about stopping Scientology mail, but I still have a question that wasn't clear from the video. Quick answer is all that's needed. Okay, well, ask me the question. I'll, I'll, uh... Yeah, here we go. When you referenced making multiple calls, did you mean because the file is in multiple places or did you mean multiple calls to each location? Okay, thanks, Mirko. If you want to get off Scientology's mailing list, you're going to have to contact every single church that has your address because there are multiple churches and they share the the, the information. There is a central ADO, a central addresso system is what it's called, where they sort of centralize their mailing lists. But every single individual church has their own mailing lists for their area. So if you're, let's say you're in Kansas City. The, the Church of Scientology, Kansas City, has you on their mailing list. Because they have you on, your mailing, on their mailing list, they've sent that information to Los Angeles. And it's in the international database. It is also at the FLAG database in Florida. And it's probably at the ASHO database in LA. So you've got all those organizations now sending you mail, potentially, or potentially contact, trying to contact you. So if you get off one of those mailing lists, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get off all the others. So that's one of the teeth-gnashingly frustrating things about getting off Scientology's mailing list. So you just kind of have to be persistent and just kind of keep pushing. And that's really all, all the only advice I have on that. All right. Uh, let's see here. Da, 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 da. Do I, oh, Haley Gowie asks, do you believe in God? Well, since you ask, no, I don't. Um, not in the form that most people do. Let's put it that way. I'm an agnostic. Uh, that's the label that I that I think most uh, most applies to me in terms of my God belief. I sit very firmly at I do not know whether there is or isn't a God. And I choose to believe that there is not because I don't have any compelling evidence or reason to think that there is. I certainly do not believe in any form of Christian God or Islamic God or Jewish God. Um, that, you know, the whole Abrahamic God thing is just re completely ridiculous to me, which is not to say that I'm down on people who believe in that. I, you want to believe in that? Fine. I don't, I don't have anything to say about it. 
Uh, my only problem with that comes in when you try to enforce your morality on me. You know, I don't try to enforce my morality on you. So I really don't, you know, I'm not down with that. Um, I, you know, and, and somebody could rejoin with, well, you're, you know, you talk about, you know, abortion and this and that all the time. Well, I, if I was going to say I was enforcing something, it would be human rights. That's my morality. But as far as God goes, um, my conception, let's just, let's just answer this. My conception is that God is unknowable to us. I mean, if you could imagine some living entity who could create all of creation, all the universe, the multiverse, <laughs> I mean, you know, such a being is beyond our ability to comprehend. I mean, we're still figuring out the rules of the game here. You know, we don't even know all of what we don't know. So to imagine that there's some creature out there, or some living entity out there that, you know, does understand all of these things. And so to, to the point that they were literally able to create all of this through some kind of force of will. I mean, my get, you know, my goodness. So, um, so that's my kind of conception of God is something that is so far beyond our ability to even comprehend that, you know, why are we even talking about it? You know, that's kind of my my think on it. And since there is no real evidence on it one way or the other, you know, I I don't I, I choose not to believe in that. You know, I certainly don't believe in some kind of, uh, you know, bearded figure in the clouds who's who cares what I do with myself at night or, you know, is watching over me and 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 cares what TV shows I watch or something or what thoughts I have. You know, I, I that's just sort of inconceivable to me as a as a reality. Uh, okay, let's see here. It's precisely funny. Remember, okay, let's see here. Great show, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> cool. All right, let's keep going. Multiple. Okay, good. That was the that was the uh thing there. Oh, Nerman says, I love Jerry Armstrong. Listen, I want to be clear about my earlier answer on Jerry that I love Jerry Armstrong too. Okay, I you know, the guy has beef with me, I don't have beef with him. So I am so, so grateful and so happy that he did what he did when he came out of the Sea Org and fought the fights he fought. And I definitely have named him uh, individually. I have singled him out as somebody whose shoulders I stand on in terms of I stand on the shoulders of giants in the work that I do. You know, I'm I'm late to the game of, of of speaking out against Scientology. There were people who came before me who did championship work. He was one of those people. So, you know, if I come across like I'm a little, you know, pissed off or something or, you know, antagonistic towards him or something, well, I'm upset about the situation, but... I, I, you know, uh, I, there's, there's his, his contributions to this fight were invaluable and irreplaceable. And I, and I definitely want to be clear about that. Okay. Let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm way back in the comments, I think. Um, what's the highest? Okay. Oh, love asks, what's the highest OT level possible? Well, the highest one released is OT8. And there are no more OT levels after that, unless David Miscavige decides to invent them himself, which would be easy to do. There would be no problem at all um, coming up with more OT levels. But it requires a little bit of imagination and creativity. And um, David Miscavige, for all of his marketing skills, doesn't really have a whole lot of that. So 
Uh, we'll see if future, you know, in the future, if more OT levels come out. But right now, it goes up to eight. Um, I'll friend you if you do, Travis. Do another long form interview with Tori. All right, I'll see about doing that. Um, Kyle asks, did you get invited on the aftermath show or Scientology and me? Um, I did not get invited on the Scientology and me. I was in the first season of Scientology in the aftermath. And I was also a consultant on the first two seasons. Um, have you ever been to, uh, Ron asks, have you ever been to other orgs abroad and is the culture of abuse and money making the same as it in the U.S.? Um, no, I have not been to Scientology orgs abroad, but I've talked to many people who worked in them or were in them. And, uh, both when I was in Scientology and afterwards, and, uh, the, the pattern is the same. It is, it's, the abuses do not just occur in the United States. Uh, okay. Miss Potkin, da, 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 keep fighting. OT5 is not the highest OT8 is. Okay. Let's see here. Thank you guys. Oh, here we go. All right. Viridian Roots asks, do you think that most people don't want to critically think about their eating habits slash eating animals? Absolutely. Um, you know, it, the podcast I did this last week and many, many episodes I've done on my podcast and, and other shows I've done have definitely driven me to realize that um, that we are driven by our emotions first and our intellect pretty much exists to rationalize our emotional decisions. If it feels good, if it tastes good, if it's if it's of of pleasing sensory experience to us, then we will come up with all kinds of rationalizations for why that's a good thing and why we need to keep doing it. And for too many people, eating bacon is such a pleasurable experience that they are not going to think critically about their eating habits or about eating animals. Now, I'm not preaching here that, you know, uh being a vegan is the way to go or the ultimate product of, of critical thinking about it. All I'm saying, cause I don't, I'm not a vegan and I'm not going to be, but I will say that, um, that people will not, will, you will run into roadblocks of getting people to think critically about their diets because of the taste and, and sensory reception of, of food that they eat and the pleasure that it gives people. And that's a, that's a very powerful force in this world. So, you know, that's, I don't know. It's kind of what I have to Think about that. Uh, let's see here. Um, hey, Archangel. Oh, Craig Duncan. Okay, here's, oh yeah, I'm glad you're asking this because this somebody asked me about this too. Here's a question, Chris. With the Sea Org position on children and pregnancy, with members having to have abortions or leave, even now men push to have vasectomies, how do they justify COB having kids? Okay, I'm glad you asked that because David Miscavige doesn't have any kids. Uh, somebody else, maybe you or somebody else uh, emailed me this question too and it's or, or commented it on it somewhere. Miscavige has no children that I'm aware of. Um, he's married still to Shelly. I don't even know that he's sleeping with anybody these days. Um, but there's no kids there. The Miscavige family, Ron Miscavige Sr., David Miscavige's father, right, has had three or four or five kids or something. Um, David Miscavige has a twin sister. There's his younger, or his, I think his older brother, Ronnie. Um, they have kids, but David Miscavige does not. Okay, uh, let's see here. 
Um, but it was fair game. It was done. Down to my mobile home. Damn, that sucks. Um, yeah, Siri could care less what they think. Um, and things for all the pepper. I can't. Michael Roberts is asking me about Lucia Rabisi publicly leaving the church. I can't really speak to the Rabisi clan that well. I don't know that family well enough to speak intelligently about it or answer questions about it. I'm sorry. Uh, let's see here. If you're happy, you know what copy. <laughs> okay, good. Da da da. Are you? Which is present operational planning? Oh, Law of Improbability asks, are physical safety considerations present in operational planning, as in sending people into rat-infested tunnels for cleaning being judged on a risk scale? You're talking about the Sea Org right now, and you're talking about the projects that we had to go do in terms of heavy labor while we were on the RPF or work details that get assigned to even regular Sea Org members. And physical considerations are always taking a back seat to getting the job done. Uh, make it go right is one of the key mottos of the Sea Org, and it's expected that every Sea Org member knows how to do any job assigned, no matter what their background or experience or education is. Whether you know how to do the job or not, you're expected to get the job done. And uh, you're expected to get the job done on schedule. And the schedules are tight, and the targets are tight. And OSHA considerations, you know, like the uh, Office of uh, Safety and Health or something, um, th those take a back seat. 100% of the time. We we gave some degree of lip service to OSHA standards, but when push came to shove, uh, the thing to get, get done was get the job done no matter what. So that's uh, that should give you some idea of, of how much they take physical safety into, into mind. Um, why is Scientology opposed to masturbation? Jason Starr asks. Um, <laughs> because it's pleasurable. <laughs> Because um, David Miscavige knows that using sex to control people, people's sex lives and their secrets, is one of the most powerful control mechanisms known to man. And that's why, it, that's why he does it. Hubbard did not have a big thing on controlling people with sex. In other words, controlling their sex lives. Um, he, did, he did put the rule down about no premarital sex for Sea Org members. He did that because people were having so much sex and there was so many interpersonal relation tanglements and problems and babies showing up that he was just like up to here with it. And that's Hubbard, right? I mean, that's just Hubbard and the Sea Org and that lifestyle. I'm not, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying that was why he did that. He didn't do it because he wanted to control people's lives through sex, you know, through sexual control, se control of their sex lives. Miscavige does. When Miscavige took over, all kinds of heavy rules started coming down about people's sex lives and their personal lives and what they could do with them. And that was that was one of them. So that's how you see that manifest itself. Um, let's see here. Uh, Hubbard was, by the way, though, I should say, really down on homosexuality, nothing going, nothing good about the LGBTQ community. They were all perverts and mental aberrations and psychos, and Hubbard was definitely down on anything like that. And that comes out of the 19, you know, the Midwest, early turn of the century morality that Hubbard was raised with. I mean, he's just a product of his times. So I don't know that he was particularly... Um, 
you know, I don't think he was unique in his animosity towards the LGBTQ community for his uh, age and time period and, and where he came from. Okay. Um, yes, show that. Yes, they are. Okay. Um, it's not possible to prove that either doesn't exist. Yes, yeah. I, you know, somebody's commenting about gods and God and unicorns, and you can't prove they do or don't exist. Exactly. You know, I'm agnostic about blue Smurfs too. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, I'm pretty sure that there are no blue Smurfs, but you know, I don't know. I could be proven wrong on that. I suppose would be an easier sell to convince me that there are blue Smurfs than it would be to convince me that there's a god. Uh, let's see. What year? Nor Nerman asks me here. What year did L. Ron Hubbard establish the Sea Organization Network? 1967 is when the Sea Org started. Uh, let's see here. Yes, humanist. Lita says yes. I identify as a humanist myself. You know, humanist is the only label I proudly wear. <coughs> Excuse me. Atheist, nah. Agnostic, nah. Humanist. Goddamn right. That is definitely what I am. All right. What about Travolta? I know they are anti-gay. What about anti-anal? Um, okay. I can't say one way or the other whether John Travolta is homosexual, bisexual, or whatever. Um, there's certainly compelling evidence out there to indicate that he, you know, swings both ways. I know for a fact that John Travolta loves his wife and loves his family or at least used to. I mean, how where their marriage is at this exact moment, I don't know. But I was actually around when he and Kelly met and he got her into Scientology and they got married. So I don't think that Kelly is just some beard for John Travolta. I do believe that he truly loves her and he loves his kids. He was devastated when Jet died, his son. Um, you know, that if he didn't care about his kids, he wouldn't have been devastated about it, right? Um, does he like guys? Maybe. Has that been an impediment for him to get up the bridge? Probably. I, I don't know where he's at. I actually don't know if he's auditing on or done through OT7 or not. Um, if he is, it's because celebrities get to break the rules. You know, that's the thing in Scientology is if you're a celebrity, you get to break a lot of the rules that the public Scientologists don't get to break. So, that's pretty much all I can. There's a lot of conjecture there. You know, I mean, there's all this conjecture about Travolta's sexuality. And I just kind of think of it as so much noise because it doesn't really matter that much to me, um, except to highlight the hypocrisy of the rules in Scientology. And again, it's all subjective or it's it's conjecture, though. So, you know, it's pretty much all I can say about that whole subject. Um, let's see here. Wait a minute. What is this about Captain America dying in Avengers 4? Hey, 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 you wait till the movie comes out and then we'll see. I'm not, I'm, Iron Man will die. Come on, guys. Come on. Let's have a little optimism here. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Do you believe, do you believe L. Ron Hubbard's policy letters work and should be kept working? <laughs> Nerman, you really are new to this, aren't you, to my channel? Uh, no, I don't. I think L. Ron Hubbard's policies are childishly simplistic and ridiculous. Um, you know, there are some good mixed in with the bad. Hubbard didn't write a lot of those policy letters, by the way. Uh, Mary Sue did. Other aides and staff of his did. 
So a lot of things have Hubbard's name on it that's not really L. Ron Hubbard, and I try to differentiate those when I, whenever I can. Um, Hubbard's, Hubbard couldn't organize his way out of a wet paper bag. He was a horrible administrator, awful executive. And if you want any proof of that, just look at his life up until 1952. I mean, it was a mess. He bankrupted Dianetics twice. I mean, he was horrible at organizational policies and, and, and directives. Uh, when Mary Sue came on the scene and married him and started working with him is when the organization started actually having some kind of structure to it that, that was sensible. And that's when they got the church together and tax exemption and, and all of that. So I'm not saying Hubbard was a was a non-person when it came to his policies. I'm saying that Hubbard was somebody who entered, who who threw spanners into the mix more often than not. And um, and because of that, he was more of a hindrance than a help when it came to furthering his own organizations, if that even, you know, sounds sensible. But it is. That's how it went, you know. Scientology sort of expanded and grew despite L. Ron Hubbard's policies, not because of them. Okay. Um, oh, hey, yeah. Do you think, uh, let's see here. Let's go back. Kyle again. Do you think your beliefs are what they are now due to your Scientology experience? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Of course they are. Scientology most definitely informed my experience, my, my beliefs. Um, of course, I've I've rejected many of Scientology's beliefs at this point, but you know my rejection of them, of course, is in response to having come out of Scientology. So again, Scientology influenced. You know, I think all of us are that way. Our experiences definitely shape and mold our our beliefs. Uh, let's see, when's the new book coming out? Um, hopefully, I will be. I mean, I'm. You know, this is. I'm not even like putting anything out there anymore about when things are going to happen. But I will say this. My plans right now are to get my next book going next year and have it published the year after. Uh, I want to get this Basics of Scientology series done. And then I'm going to get real nose to the grindstone on getting the books done that I want to get done. I've got four, maybe five of them uh, set up. All right. Um... Oh, okay. Um, MimelQ. Okay, so somebody named Paige is asking me here. Hi, please. Can you tell me if you think Mormonism is a cult? Um, yes, I do. I do think Mormonism is a cult. Um, okay, let's see here. And and if you want more on that, I've done interviews um, on my podcast with a man named Jonathan Streeter, who's a former Mormon, and we have talked at length and compared and contrasted Scientology and Mormonism and its practices and what parts of Mormonism I think are culty and destructive. Because it's not that everything Mormons do is horrible and awful and they should stop doing it all. They're very community-minded. They're very friendly people. They're they're very easy to get along with. I really appreciate that about the Mormons. Uh, like Really, I appreciate it. I really like the fact that they are that way. I don't like the fact that they take, you know, 10-year-olds into a room with an adult and, and grill them on their sex lives, you know, ask them all kinds of sharp and pointed questions without their present parents being present. I don't like the control that, that the Mormons exert over their membership whenever they feel like it. Um, things like that, you know. Uh, let's see here. Michael Roberts, what's your take on the new South African advanced org? 
Well, it's about goddamn time they're opening it. I mean, they only announced it, what, in their two, the year 2000? <laughs> it took forever to get that thing done. And it's going to be an epic fail like everything else Scientology does is. I mean, it's just just more nonsense. Uh, kind of wasted money, really. Um, is Lisa Marie fighting against the church and Priscilla too? I, I don't know. I don't know anything about Lisa Marie. Uh, she's not fighting the church. If she is, she's doing it very, very behind the scenes and quietly. Not Nothing's crossed my radar about it. Um, did L. Ron Hubbard, okay, 356 Porwood asks, did L. Ron Hubbard consider himself a Satanist? Ron DeWolf, his son, mentioned that he most certainly was involved with satanic rituals in the past. That's a tough question because the word Satanist has multiple meanings and connotations across religions and, and different people's heads, right? Uh, L. Ron Hubbard did not worship Satan. So I won't say he's a Satanist if you think that that's what Satanism is. Um, L. Ron Hubbard practiced the occult. He was involved with um, sex magic as written and practiced by Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons, who was a uh, an acolyte under uh, Crowley. Uh, Jack Parsons lived in Pasadena, California. Hubbard hooked up with him after the war. Uh, I think it was 1946 or 47. They engaged in sex blood magic rituals. Um, that definitely happened. There's no question about it. The church even acknowledges that that happened. They, the church's spin on it is that Hubbard was there to bust up a, a, a human trafficking sex ring or something, which was total nonsense. Uh, he was not at all involved with the authorities on that. Hubbard was just being Hubbard. And he was conning Jack Parsons out of his girlfriend and his money while at the same time engaging in, in occult practices. And according to Hubbard's own personal writings, which we call the affirmations, you can look those up. Um, they're also an appendix in my book, by the way. Um, according to those personal handwritten documents of L. Ron Hubbard's, he believed in a guardian spirit. And he had occult beliefs. So um, so was he doing all that for real? Well, apparently so, according to his own writings. And that's about as much as we uh, know about it as far as that goes. I mean, we have all kinds of details on the rituals he was doing. But that's, uh, that's what we know about his occult Satanism uh, slant. Um, yeah, mixed feelings about Mormonism being a cult. They're definitely weird, but I don't think they're so insular or something like Scientology. They don't seem to be truly evil. You're right. Um, and my speculation on this is that cults go through a cycle where they, in fact, I think all religions do, where they sort of start out as a destructive cult and evolve. And if they're going to go mainstream and get big, like really big, um, then they have to mainstream their ideas. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses are really big, and they haven't particularly mainstreamed. So there's this isn't a complete theory of mine here. It's just this sort of general idea. But I think Mormons have gone through this cycle of being very, very destructive, very, very weird group of people. And then over the, the years, excuse me, they have kind of toned it down because they want to mainstream. They want more people involved with them, and they want to grow. And so they had to get rid of certain of their beliefs and certain of their ideas. And they've had to kind of chill out their more destructive cult practices. But there's still shades of it there. So it's not that Mormonism is equal to Scientology and destructive cultness, but they still, you know, kind of slant in that direction. All right. Uh, da, 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 da. 
Fraud, yes, exactly. Uh, da, da, da. Up from the past, food consumption, okay. Technical question. Oh, here we go. B. Philip, studio technical question. Are you planning on using a green screen in your new space for when you wanted videos like when you work through and were critical of the book by academics? Yes, um, I, I can put a green screen up back here. And, uh, and if I feel the need to do that, I will do so. Um, you'll probably see a backdrop of some kind when I am doing my Basics of Scientology series, just like you saw when I recently did the conspiracy theory video. If you watch that, and I hope you do, um, I've got the blue background up behind me for that. Okay, we're going to move toward wrapping up here shortly. So let me just see what else we got here. I've been uh, just kind of plowing through the comments in order, and I hope I haven't missed any uh, of real super importance, but I know I'm not going to get to all of them in this episode, but let's see what we got here. Um, what's the height difference of Shelly and David? I, I don't know. Um, you think you're serious? Oh, okay. Here's a great question. Melissa Maresca asks, how do you learn to think critically? Do you think your Sea Org training helped you with this ability since you basically trained yourself to cut off emotional thinking? No. Um, Melissa, I'm really glad you brought that up actually. Critical thinking is not non-emotional thinking. It's not turning yourself into Mr. Spock. I've actually done videos on this. There's a playlist on my channel called Critical Thinking. And there's a whole series of videos that I did. And I actually did an, a whole video on emotion in critical thinking because we can't separate ourselves from our emotions. It is impossible. Po impossible. There is no way to do it. It's, it's just part and parcel how we think. So critical thinking has to be done in such a way that you are aware of your biases and your emotion and the emotional components of your thinking. And you, it takes effort and willpower to overcome the emotional biases that we have in order to look objectively at a body of information and make an, and do analysis and, and, and form judgments about it. And even then, our experience and background and culture are going to have influences on our decisions and judgments. There's, there's just no way around it. So the best we can do is take all of the factors into account that we know about in our thinking processes and do what we can to overcome the foibles and, and, and pitfalls that, are, that exist and come to rational decisions and conclusions anyway. And the best way to do that is to engage in evidence-based thinking where you have specific reasons you can point to that are that are evidence-based or reality-based uh, that you can back up and defend your position. And that's, that's good critical thinking, right? Um, trying to pretend that you don't have an emotional involvement in something, even something you're fairly neutral about, um, is is sort of a pretense because there's just no way that we can avoid that in our thinking. All right, uh, but check out the, the the playlist. I've actually made uh, hours of of content about critical thinking and all the things I've learned about it over the years since I got out of Scientology. I don't think to address your question that my Sea Org training helped that particularly. Um, I, I think if anything, my Sea Org training hindered it because I had to overcome a lot of nonsense and, and landmines uh, that were entered into my thinking by the Sea Org in order to establish what real critical thinking is and how to do it. All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, all right. Craig asks, what was the deal with LRH auditing plants with the leads connected to tomatoes, et cetera? Was that just a PR stent or what? 
Yeah, it was a PR stunt. Hubbard said that he was investigating the nature of life and he was talking to plants with an e-meter in order to establish whether life as an energy source was different in human beings than it was in other forms of life. And his conclusion was that it was all the same. And that comes back to the idea of theta, which is the word that is used in Scientology to denote life force or spiritual existence. Same thing in Scientology. Um, and Hubbard said life is life, regardless of whether it's, uh, you know, imbuing energy and life and, and motive force into a plant or a meat body like what we carry around. Same, same. Uh, I don't follow along with that train of thought, by the way. Now, I'm just telling you what Hubbard uh, was thinking when he was auditing the plants. All right. Let's go down and see uh, one more. All right. Travis, I'm going to answer your question, and then we're going to wrap up here. Travis says, do you like any professional sports? Um, I like watching the Broncos play when they're winning. <laughs> uh, but they've been pretty disappointing the last couple seasons, ever since Peyton Manning uh, left. And uh, other than that, I don't really watch any professional sports. Not really my thing. All right, guys. Uh, let me just quickly peruse here and see if there's anything really huge I might have missed. Um, you guys got some great questions and comments this time here. This has been really, really fun. Uh, is there a Q&A where you talk politics? Um, even hang out for that. Christy, yes, I have, I have, Christy, I have talked politics quite a bit, mostly in my podcasts. If you're looking for where I'm coming from politically, that's the place to go. We were talking, my podcast started when Trump was, um, when the candidate, when the election cycle was going on. So you'll see a lot of comments and talk from me at that time. And I have done a whole rundown on Donald Trump and why he's in so much trouble right now in a, in a podcast I did a couple of months ago. So check out the titles on the Sensibly Speaking podcast and some of the thumbnails. And I think you'll see which ones are politically minded and which ones uh, aren't. All right. Uh, let's see here. Do you think? OK, good. More questions. Sorry, I couldn't get to all of these guys. Um, okay, good. Um, what's this now? Lori, Chris, Aaron, where is, is homeopathy also a cult? And you guys got some good questions here. No, homeopathy is not a cult. It's just this really, really, really bad science and stupid idea. Um, but no, it's not a, it's not a cult. Uh, at least not a destructive cult in the same way Scientology is. Let me put it that way. All right. And, uh, I don't know where Aaron is. <laughs> All right. And uh, okay, good. All right, guys. So thank you very much for coming around. I'm glad we got a chance to do this today. I'm glad I got a chance to tell you guys uh, what had been happening in the last couple of days and that I um, and that I, we did a successful Q&A episode here and then we got this debug so I can do future live streams in here without any more issues or problems like we had. So um, that all being said, if you guys, uh, by the way, for those of you who are enjoying my channel, <laughs> if you want to, tis the season to maybe throw some love and support my way, uh, either through Patreon or PayPal or whatever. Uh, my birthday is this week also. So it's <laughs> a so shameless plug for that. All right, guys, I will see you guys uh, next time. And uh, let's go ahead and end off here. <laughs>